You're listening to Project Oncology on ReachMD, and this episode is sponsored by Stemline, a Menorini Group company. Here's your host, Dr. Pavni Chalasani. Welcome to Project Oncology on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Pavni Chalasani, and joining me to review key takeaways from a recent study focusing on ESR1 mutations in endocrine-treated breast cancer is Dr. Marcella Mazzo-Canola. She's an assistant professor in breast medical oncology at UT Health San Antonio's Mays Cancer Center. Dr. Mazzo-Canola, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Happy to be here today. Now, before we dive into the research, can you give us some background on ESR1 mutations in metastatic breast cancer? Yes. So we know breast cancer is a heterogeneous disease that has different clinical, histopathological, and molecular subtypes. However, we also know that about 70% of our patients have expression to estrogen receptor. So multiple studies in the clinical and experimental settings have established the role of the estrogen receptor pathway in tumor growth and creation of metastatic disease in patients with breast cancer. And we know that this estrogen receptor is encoded by the ESR1 gene. So this gene functions as a nuclear protein that is ligand-depending, meaning that when that estrogen comes in and stimulates the estrogen receptor, it downstreams a cascade of cell growth and cell division. So ESR1 mutations were first described around 1996. In different cell models, they were able to identify some changes in the gene that caused that estrogen receptor to be activated by the presence or absence of the estrogen stimulating that particular receptor. So we have learned with time that these mutations are extremely rare when patients are treatment naive and they tend to appear as we continue to suppress that estrogen pathway through the use of aromatase inhibitors or medications such as tamoxifen. So now we have learned thanks to different studies that the ESR1 mutations can be present in about 40% of our patients that have progression after first-line endocrine therapy with CDK4-6 inhibitors in the metastatic setting. And we have also learned that those patients, unfortunately, when they develop this ESR1 mutation, tend to do worse and they have a more aggressive disease. With that background in mind, let's turn our attention to the study. Can you kind of explain what were the methods used for examining or detecting ESR1 mutations? So we resource to the use of next generation sequencing. So now we have basically two methodologies to do it. We have the option of doing next generation sequencing on tissue biopsies. And we also now have the option of doing next generation sequencing once we gather circulating DNA from tumor cells. I will comment and say that the preferred method nowadays is to resource to the liquid biopsy. Basically, it's just an IV poke that the patient goes through. We get those circulating tumor cells and we're able to sequence them. It's faster, less invasive for our patients, reliable, and it gives us the answer that we're looking for. I will also comment and say that I frequently get the question if doing next generation sequencing on archival tissue is appropriate to look for this mutation. So as I mentioned before, these mutations tend to appear as we treat patients with aromatase inhibitor or anti-estrogen therapies more and more and more. So really doing the testing in archival tissue or in the first biopsy that the patient had when they were first diagnosed wouldn't be ideal as you lose the chance of finding the mutation because it just has not developed yet. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Project Oncology on ReachMD. 
I'm Dr. Pavani Cherasani, and I'm speaking with Dr. Marcella Mazzocanola about a recent study that examined the implications of ESR1 mutations in endocrine-treated breast cancer. So Dr. Mazzocanola, can you tell us what was found regarding the link between ESR1 mutations, endocrine resistance, and prognosis in published studies so far? Thank you for that question. So we have learned the clinical implications of these mutations thanks to the SOFIA trial and the EFFECT trial. So there was a compound analysis of the two that was published in 2020. And basically, in these two trials, they compare patients with metastatic ER-positive HER2-negative breast cancer treated with either single-agent aromatase inhibitor, in this case, it was eczemastin, versus treatment with an injectable CERT, in this case, fulvestrin. So they compared these groups of patients and look actively for the development of ESR1 mutations. So in patients that had metastatic disease, they did ctDNA circulating tumor cells. And in the ones that they identified the presence of ESR1 mutations, when they compared the progression-free survival and the overall survival, we learned that patients with tumors that developed ESR1 mutations did much worse when they were treated with aromatase inhibitors with compared to to fulvestrin. These two trials paved the way to show us that when tumors develop ESR1 mutations, those patients are going to have a much inferior response to therapy with an aromatase inhibitor and uh, anti-estrogen therapy such as SERMs as well, such as tamoxifen. Now, with that being said, how do these findings impact the way we approach taking care of patients with metastatic breast cancer? I will reference the PADA trial as a proof of concept to show us how these patients behave clinically different. So the PADA-1 trial was a big phase three trial that enrolled more than 1,000 patients, and these patients were treated for a metastatic hormone receptor positive HER2-negative breast cancer with standard of care therapy with CDK46 inhibitor. In this case, it was palbocyclib with backbone endocrine therapy with an aromatase inhibitor. Patients enrolled in this trial basically were treated with this therapy and they were checking proactively every two months the development of the ESR1 mutations in their tumors. So once they identified the presence of the ESR1 mutation in the tumor, they either stayed in the same arm of therapy with palbocyclib plus an aromatase inhibitor or crossing into continuing the same CDK46 inhibitor and switching their backbone endocrine therapy to an injectable surge, which in this case, it was fulvestrin. And the conclusion of the trial was that patients that cross over the treatment arm that had the fulvestrin when they had the presence of the ESR1 mutation in their tumor responded better to therapy. So this basically shows that despite the success that we all know with the therapy with CDK46 inhibitor, that endocrine pathway still matters. And we have learned that patients whose tumors harbor that ESR1 mutation are going to do worse unless we kind of manipulate that endocrine pathway in a smarter way. Have there been any other recent updates looking at ESR1 mutations and in newer therapies? Yes. So in San Antonio Breast in 2022, we were very excited to see the results of the MRL trial. So MRL was a phase three study that compared patients with a history of stage four hormone receptor positive HER2 negative metastatic breast cancer in patients that were treated with CDK46 inhibitor and a backbone endocrine therapy or the physician's choice after rate progress. They were randomized into a one-to-one basis to either receive elacestrone, which is an oral CERT, versus physician's choice of backbone endocrine therapy. 
And in this trial, what they did is patients whose tumor hibernates are one mutations, they did like a subgroup analysis for this specific population, and they were able to identify an improvement in progression-free survival for this patient population. I will also highlight that in Emerald, we were able to see that patients before they were started on therapy with this oral CERD, if patients stayed on their prior CDK46 inhibitor with backbone endocrine therapy for the longest time, and the biggest benefit was seen at 12 months, those patients actually did better when they were started on therapy with an oral CERD. So elacestin was FDA approved in January 2023, and we're very excited to see that we have this new therapy that we can use in patients whose tumors express ESR1 mutation because it gives us another option to attack this specific endocrine pathway and increase the life of our patients with a good quality of life. I will also highlight that during Emerald, the rate of adverse side effects to the therapy was actually pretty good with patients having some nausea as the main side effect that was easily managed with taking the medication with food. They also reported some joint pain, but the rate of grade 3 and grade 4 toxicities was low. So we're happy to see that these therapies are very well tolerated by our patients. So given everything we discussed today, Dr. Maza Canola, can you provide some final key points our audience can take with them? Yes, thank you so much for that question. So it's important to remember that we need to look for this specific mutation. ESR1 mutations are common and they will happen as our patients have disease progression through their initial endocrine therapy. Remember that at the beginning, when patients are treatment naive, you are likely not going to find this mutation. But as patients have evidence of disease progression, about 40% of them might develop ESR1 mutation in their tumors, and you need to look for it. Now we have the option of using a medication, an oral CERT, Elicestrin, that was FDA approved for the treatment of patients whose tumors harbor this specific mutation. And lastly, we're excited because we know that there might be some more oral CERTs coming our way in different settings. We're exploring analysis with combination therapy, such as CDK46 inhibitor, mTOR inhibitors, PIK3C inhibitors, and these agents may also come earlier in the disease process, and they're being explored in their use in patients after they have early stage disease. Well, with those key takeaways in mind, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Marcella Manzo-Canola, for joining me to talk about the recent findings and the clinical impacts of ESR1 mutations in patients with endocrine-resistant breast cancer. Dr. Manzo-Canola, it was great having you on the program. Thank you so much for the invitation. This episode of Project Oncology was sponsored by Stenline, a Menorini Group company. To access this and other episodes in this series, visit Project Oncology on ReachMD.com, where you can be part of the knowledge. Thanks for listening.